Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Frent and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. Once again, we've taken Mississippi Prospects on the road to the IP Casino Resort and Spa in Biloxi, Mississippi, from the Mississippi Economic Development Council's Exchange Conference. Joining us today is Ben Teague. He's the Vice President of Strategic Development for Biltmore Farms in North Carolina, but he originally hails from the great state of Mississippi. Ben is a graduate of Mississippi College and received his MBA from the University of Mississippi. He's the former Executive Director and Chief Operating Officer of the Asheville, North Carolina Chamber of Commerce. Ben has been named to top 40 under 40 lists in both Mississippi and North Carolina, as well as a top 50 economic developer in North America. Ben also has business interests in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, with branding company Creative Bread, whose clients include NASCAR, Nike Sport Research Lab, First Bank, and Seaspire. Welcome to Mississippi Prospects, Ben. Thank you. You have an interesting story getting from Mississippi and ending up in North Carolina. And I want to talk about your background first, because it will really lead us into what we're here to talk about today. Some of the most important lessons that you've learned in economic development, which from when we talked before, really are are great life lessons. So tell me a little bit about your career path going from Mississippi to your current position at Biltmore Farms. Absolutely. It's been a a long journey, and and, uh, my time in Mississippi was extremely important to me and and kind of learning along the way. But grew up in Vicksburg, uh, there in the the tip of the Delta, and then uh, spent time in different cities in in North Central and South Mississippi and, and loved all of them. But uh, my last position uh, in Mississippi was the Vice President of Economic Development for the Area Development Partnership in Hattiesburg, and then left there to go to Asheville and run the Asheville Area Chamber of Commerce. Um, and then now I serve as the Vice President of Strategic Development for Biltmore Farms and a partner in Creative Bread Studios. A lot of people know sort of the Biltmore brand can you explain what that all that includes? Um, sure, what yeah. Biltmore Farms is. Yeah, that's that's funny that you say that because uh, when people think of the Biltmore brand, they think of uh, the big house, right? And and millions of people uh, come and see that every year, and and, and it's true. It's the same family, uh, the Vanderbilt family that that started it all, and uh, they were the ones. When I say started it all, they even started uh, the U.S. Forestry Service and gave the eighty-seven thousand acres of land to create the Pisgah National Forest. And, and so they've done a lot of very catalytic things for that region there. But, but, but today, if you fast forward to today, uh, the house is a standalone business of itself, a tourism business. And then uh, Biltmore Farms, which I work for, has uh, thousands of acres of land and we own uh, communities uh, with hundreds of homes. Uh, We own hundreds of thousands of uh, commercial real estate space and retail space. Uh, We own four hotels. and, uh, And so my job is to figure out now how to take all of those assets and how do you create good jobs and essentially economic development from a little bit different perspective. So you're saying you're approaching economic development from a little bit of a different angle because it includes obviously the tourism aspect of getting people in there uh, to patronize many of these businesses. And we're not talking about a lot of people think of economic development as bringing in large manufacturers, building cars or assembling uh, parts and things of that nature. 
Sure. It's a holistic picture of economic development. And, and really, uh, Asheville, Western North Carolina has this holistic picture, um, because so many people visit there and you have, you know, I think it's uh, 11 or 12 million people come to Asheville every single year. Uh, when I first came to Asheville, uh, people's question for me was, well, what are you going to do to combat the tourism message and have an economic development message? Said, oh, well, we're not going to do anything. We're going to leverage that. And, and, and that's been important for their economic development growth and their job growth in, in the region. And Biltmore Farms is much the same way with owning the hotels and then having the tourism component with the, the kind of the cousin company at the estate. Tourism is a very big uh, and important piece of the economy there. But that leads to, you know, visit here, live here, work here uh, kind of message. So your well-rounded career in economic development, you've, you've seen the manufacturing side and recruiting companies to an area. Uh, you've seen where you have to embrace a little bit different model. All of that has taught you some important lessons, which, as I mentioned earlier, really are great life lessons. One of the first things you talked about when we spoke previously was being authentic and having authentic relationships. What does that mean exactly? Absolutely. Being authentic, I think, is is so important to economic development because it's so relationship-driven. I, I, I talk about having authentic relationships versus opportunistic relationships. And opportunistic relationships is sizing someone up in the first two minutes of conversation or, or, or by their title or industry or company or whatever it might be and, and automatically ruling them in or out as to whether you want to continue this relationship. And, and my point is... Um, you don't actually control so much that you think you do. Uh, you don't control your bank account. You don't control the car you drive. You don't control even your own heartbeat. So what makes you think that that um, you should have these opportunistic relationships versus very authentic relationships? So the things that you don't control and your CEO job turns into a janitor job, at the end of the day, those opportunistic relationships are not going to be there for you. But authentic ones in reverse will be, and you'll be able to, to still lean on those. And you've seen examples of people who, you know, were not authentic in their dealings and maybe, I don't, I, lack of a better phrase, overly ambitious and really were building these relationships to be self-serving. You know, unfortunately, um, I had an employee who worked for me and he, he was always having these very opportunistic relationships. He would size people up or what can they do for me right now? Or what can, can I get from this? It's always, it was, it was never give. It was always get in, in that relationship. And so, um, he, he left and went to greener pastures and another economic development firm. And, um, actually he was caught. Uh, essentially selling secrets to an outside economic development secrets to an outside, uh, firm that came back on him and he was fired for that. And he, he, he should have, but it was all because he was seeking this quick opportunity, opportunity and opportunistic relationship. And, and it's sad to see, but, but in the reverse, it's really great to see authentic relationships. And, and I give an example of my son who's severely dyslexic and, and, you know, he works very hard. Um, and, and we were at this camp out one time and, and, uh, their, their task was to, 
to bring um, their dad's a rock with their their name on it, let's say. And and he had been asking me all day long, like, Dad, how do you spell your name? Dad, how do you spell your name? And B-E-N, B-E-N. And I didn't know what was going to happen that night, but it was it was almost frustrating how much he asked me, you know, B-E-N all day long. We brought me the rock at the end of the day, and, and sure enough, it said B-E-I, right? So it was completely wrong, but that inaccuracy, it was okay. The rock was perfect to me because he had worked so hard on that. That's an authentic relationship, one that can can uh, be flexible within inaccuracies. And when things don't go right, it's okay. It's the kind of relationship, you know, like in a healthy marriage as well. You know, accepting your spouse's, uh, you know, little uh, idiosyncrasies, so to speak, and Absolutely. loving them for that uniqueness. Yeah, and 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 to bring it all the way back to economic development, when you're working a project and you have to tell bad news to a prospect, or you have uh, to go back to a site selector and say, "Hey, look, I need to make this correction." If you have built an authentic relationship with that project and with that site selector, um, well beyond that one opportunity, um, that message will be uh, received so much better. Open communication, then easier, you know, honest communication Absolutely. With, that, Absolutely. with that person, whether they're your client or your friend or your son or spouse. Absolutely. That authentic message extends beyond just your individual relationships. It extends to the community brand and who the community is and being an authentic place. Um, I encourage as I go across the nation and kind of visit with different markets of, you know, there's a lot of places that tend to want to be somebody different than who they are. And, and, and I, and I talk about the example of, you know, communities are like cars. They're built for certain customers. You know, in, in the, in the mountains of North Carolina, we will never be a port city like some of the awesome ports here in Mississippi, right? We're not built for those types of customers. Um, just like cars, a Rolls Royce is built for a certain type of customer. If I had all the money in the world, I would not buy a Rolls Royce because I've got two little boys who would mess up the back seat, right? So, so who are you as a community and creating uh, a plan, an authentic plan around your customers that are built for you is just as important as having those authentic relationships individually. Have, in your experience, have you seen a lot of communities who are trying to be something they're not? I mean, you know, location X is probably not going to be Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is, and a few other areas that have become tech hubs, but they're they're trying almost in vain to be, as an example, an, another Silicon Valley or just something that they're not. Absolutely. I, I see it all, all across the country, and everybody wants to be... Silicon Valley, they want to be the next great tech hub or, you know, there, there, there are brands associated with communities across the nation. Boston's very smart and, you know, maybe LA's international or New York financial, whatever it might be. There's, there's different brands that are associated with different places. And for, uh, let, let's say nowhere, Georgia, uh, you know, just making up a, a place for them to go say, I'm going to be the next Silicon Valley and they don't have the resources to back that up means that's just spin and you're spending a lot of resources, time and effort trying to do something that's not going to be in the end, 
right? So recognizing who you are and who you're built for and loving the customer that you're built for. The Ford Pinto may be a lower quality and a lower cost, but there's a customer for that car, right? So your community may not be the next Silicon Valley, but there's a customer, there's a company that's built for your community. Your next lesson was passion. Passion. And very important to you. And, you know, how does passion equate to success uh, in economic development? Yeah, passion and kind of talking through that, economic developers have some of those powerful messages on earth, right? So you offer hope for jobs and capital investment and you offer hope for a future. And we can't forget that in, in doing our jobs. There's a lot of people that are detractors out there that may jeer or wish that you had done something different. But you know what? At the end of the day, our message is extremely uh, powerful. And we, we should be the, the greatest showman for our community. And, and, I, and I, and I give an example of, uh, the, the PT Barnum, the, 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 the recent movie of the greatest showman. Nobody would go see the, the most okay showman, right? <laughs> it's, it's the greatest showman that's out there. And, and, and passion unites a community behind a belief. Um, no Eeyore that's out there, no negative person is out there leading their community to greatness, right? So you have to have this idea, you have to have a belief. And I tie that into a book that a lot of people are familiar with, with um, Simon Sinek, uh, as Start With Why. And, and he talks about this golden circle and and, you know, kind of truncating that is, is you know, everybody knows what you do. Some people know how you do that. And few people know why you do that. And the why is, is really your belief of, of what you think happens. And, and I personally believe economic development has the power to change your community, the trajectory of your family and, and change the world. And we have to own that and unify our communities because at the end of the day, a unified community will win projects it never should have won. And a divided community will lose projects that it never should have lost. And I have been through both of those things. You know, we had a large uh, manufacturing project that located in North Mississippi a couple of years ago. And when we were in the competitive process uh, for trying to win the project, when the company executives came to Mississippi, they did a helicopter tour over the area. And they saw a factory that had been closed down. That was the area's largest employer about 19 to 22%, somewhere in that range, unemployment in this county. And these stories of how important it was to the community, to the people, and all of that at the end of the day was one of the biggest decision-making factors for this company to bring their company to Mississippi. Community came together, and they worked you know, from the smallest level at the local level to with the state. Everybody was playing on that same team but they all shared that passion. That's important. And uh, I remember the beginning stories of how Toyota, the land for Toyota was put together. And uh, the, the last holdout site uh, at Toyota, the, the gentleman ended up selling because he said, I want to sell for my people, right? He viewed this as a legacy and he viewed this economic development opportunity as a, a legacy. Can passion have a negative side? Uh <laughs> 
and I don't want to say too much passion, but can it also get in the way? You know, I, I think passion, if it's blind passion and you don't have some reality behind that, right? You don't have uh, some satisfiers in there. And I, I break it down into satisfiers and differentiators, right? If you don't have water, sewer power, right? Having all the passion in the world is not going to solve that problem if you're trying to offer it to uh, uh, a prospect without some sort of rea- a realistic plan, right? To, to, to get that there. But, but if you divide, um, it's like shopping for a car. If you go look for a car and the salesman comes out and, and you like, I have $50,000 to buy a car and, and he immediately goes out into the lot and he opens up a car door and he starts showing you the air conditioning system. You know, you're like, that's not exactly what I want to buy this for. Um, but it's, it's a satisfier. If it did not have that, you wouldn't buy it. Uh, a differentiator is the leather seats and the car paint or the engine size, whatever it might be. That's the selling points, right? So if you don't have the satisfiers in place, you can't move on to those differentiators, which you can be very passionate about. So if you're passionate about something uh, that's actually doesn't even meet the satisfier uh, check checkbox, you, you kind of go back to the last point of being authentic. You need to get your things in place in order to be authentic version of, of that. Success, another important lesson, and how you measure success. Uh, this is a industry, like many, uh, salespeople uh, at all levels can equate to this. You typically make fewer sales than you miss out on. Uh, in economic development, we lose out on more projects than we win. So you have an in- interesting perspective of how you should equate success and look at it. And you have some you know, personal experience with that yourself. Sure, absolutely. And, and being in the economic development business for as long as I have, you tend to uh, equate success with, oh, here's my project activity, or we landed this, or we landed that. And that's all very important, very important for your community. But you can't lose sight that you don't control everything, right? Um so, for example, if I had to relate it back to parents, parents might say, well, you know, little Johnny is going to a great college, so I must be a great parent. Or conversely, little Johnny went to, you know, a, a school I'm not proud of, so what did I do wrong? And in reality, if, if you look at my brother as a real-life example of that, he went to uh, a community college and failed out. And he's now got this great adventuresome life. He's working for some of the biggest publications in the world and movies are being made about him. Um, and, and so he went to a community college and my parents and flunked out and my parents could have said, well, I'm a bad parent. But now he's been invited to be a fellow at MIT and Harvard. And so, so what are they going to say? I'm a good parent at this point, right? So I'm a bad, bad parent. Now I'm a good parent. Well, no, not at all, right? It, it, it doesn't have to do with, there's something different than a success metric there than when little Johnny went to school. Economic developers could look at projects and say, I've won projects and I'm a really good economic developer. Or, or no, we had a bad year. I'm a bad economic developer. I think there's success beyond like, well, what project did I land, even though that's very important. And so I encourage people to like really look at that success metric. And, and personally, I had to face that myself, change jobs. And at the same time, I had a, a, an offer on the table to go to be chief economic development officer in a very, very large community in the nation, one of the largest in the entire country. And 
I felt great about myself. It was a big paycheck. It was big responsibility. And I, I was driving down the road with my oldest son, my 14-year-old, and who I'm very involved with both of my boys' life and football, the head of their football team and all these things. And I was driving and I was, I was, we were deep into this process. We had gone and flown the whole family to this new community and found a house and the whole deal. I was, I was saying Campbell, which is my oldest son's name. I was like, Hey, Campbell, guess what? I'm not going to be at football games much anymore and, 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 and probably no practices is either. But I tell you, when I'm in town every quarter, if you want to go on a Disney cruise every quarter, that's fine. I will stroke the check. We'll go do that because we have the resources to do that. And in my mind, all the things that I had believed about the why I was, I, I, the why I do economic development, which is the fact that I believe that what I do changes my community and changes the trajectory of my family. I had thrown out the window in the thought that big paycheck and big responsibility was this ambition and the success. And as I was driving and I was kind of explaining this to him, he's like, okay, dad. And like a few minutes later, he's like, hey, dad. And I was like, yeah, buddy, I was feeling good. And he's like, you know, that's actually not really being a dad. He's like, you can't just drop in and buy good times with us and then fly back out. That's not being a dad. And it was that moment in time that was the stake in the heart of our move. And I chose to stay and go a different direction for this moment in time with my family because my family, my beliefs and why I do what I do came back into focus. That success to me personally, everybody else may have something different, but as economic development wise, it's a satisfier to have projects, but that's not everything. It's very deep for a 14 year old. <laughs> he's, he's a smart guy. Yeah. And it sounds like he's taken a lot of your, the lessons you've learned and you have passed them on to uh, your kids or trying to pass them on to your kids. Then. Well, I hope so. My grandmother started out stamping pockets out of a jean factory. And she told my father, you're going to go be an engineer. And he's like, yes, mom, I'm going to be an engineer. And, and he went and he became an engineer and he actually hated his job for his whole career. And so when he, he looked at us, he said, go do what you love to do. And then that's how I became an engineer. Uh, that's how I became an economic developer. And my brother became a writer and we love what we do. And to me, changing the trajectory of your family is all important. So when I look at my kids, I'm going to tell them, go do what you love. But what can I do right now to make your life in a different trajectory and better? Measuring success in economic development, it's tough because at the state level, we rely on our legislators to uh, provide funding, whereas an executive state agency, and we have to provide those types of metrics. How many jobs did you announce this year? How much investment you did? And those are the standards out there that we get measured by on an annual basis. How can you change that conversation for an organization, even at the local level, which relies on local funding and state assistance at times, to look at it a little differently? I don't think the concepts are mutually exclusive. Uh, I think personally, 
why you do what you do and what is a personal success metric doesn't have to be in conflict with what the organizational goals are. You know, yes, my organization was like, hey, tell us how many millions of dollars of investment you've had and tell us how many jobs and, and furthermore, what's the salary of those jobs? Those are all very good organizational metrics. But I knew when I accomplished those things, it also helped me accomplish my personal success metrics uh, to create a better day and better opportunities for my family and others around the area. I, I will say um, if it's a success metric that's purely based on capital investment or, or whatever it might be, uh, moving into the future, I think there's a, a movement in economic development to look at economic success across the board, not just at the top level, but like how are our, what is the economic picture look like for those who are the lowest incomes as well as the highest incomes. And you can do a lot of different looks at that with Brookings and Brookings Institute um, that's out there. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't think those two things, the personal success metrics and organizational success metrics are different or in conflict. And what they can't see and what's hard to quantify are some of the authentic relationships that you build in the recruitment process. Even if you don't win Project X, you've built an authentic relationship, uh, say with that consultant, that site selection consultant, that company, you may be in the running for something that hasn't even developed yet or hasn't been conceived. Absolutely. And, and there have been times when maybe things didn't work out for my community. And there was a particular instance with an aluminum foundry. It was $250 million. And this consultant truly wanted to have this project uh, in, in our area. And we physically in the mountains could not fit that project. But the county next door had some land. And the other option was that they were going to go to Georgia. And I call, I was able to call the CEO uh, who I'd formed this great relationship with and say, look, if I have garnered any goodwill with you, please put it next door. And today, that's where they located, and it's changed that area and changed that community in a, in a big way. I'm proud of that because while it never happened in my area, it was a result of a very authentic relationship. He is authentic. He is passionate. He's successful. Ben Teague, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.